You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me for this episode is Will Miles from his site, readandreaction.com. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, uh... Busy time. Last week, we had Dan Mullen here in Jacksonville for a Gator Gathering. I uh, got a lot of useful information at an interview with him before the uh, before he went and speak, spoke to the crowd and also uh, some interviews or some useful info during that as well. Uh, but then also open practice this past Saturday uh, for the Gators and busy, busy time leading up to spring ball. Yeah, man, they got you busy down there going to practices and inter- interviewing Mullen and, uh, you know, get, getting prime real estate when you go to these Dan Mullen talks. So, uh, hey, it's it's great that the fans get the information from you. I wish I could be there with you, but obviously I'm still freezing my butt off up here. So, <laughs> Yeah, um, and uh, Mullen, pretty friendly after uh, practice as well. Harmonic Woods, a few members of the Harmonic Woods tailgate uh, made it to practice as well. Mullen took a picture with us after practice, so uh, that was good. Uh, and uh, signed one of the Harmonic Woods Tailgaters t-shirts. So uh, it was good to get to see those guys again, uh, get to see them again for, for spring game. But, uh, you know, just uh, a lot of people we get to see during the football season, not so much uh, during the offseason. But spring ball and uh, open spring practice uh, brings bring some fans together. Yeah, man, the season doesn't really end anymore, right? I mean, no. the, the season didn't really – you got the end of the season on New Year's Day and then signing day and now the spring game and, and all that sort of stuff. It just feels like, especially when you don't miss the bowl game, it feels like it, <laughs> feels like it's a much more continuous thing. And, you know, it was interesting. I, I think, you know, when people go back and listen to your interview with Mullen, it really did. He sounds more relaxed this offseason than he did last season. He was a lot more intense, I think, last season, maybe setting the tone for the players, sort of what they were going to understand, but even towards the fans. I mean, you know, he, he made it a point to to thank the fans and make sure that he, uh, you know, expressed his gratitude for their support. And, and that, that was a little bit different than some of the things he said last year, too. So, um, you know, good to see that he's, that he's relaxed. I, I think that means he's probably confident with where the team is right now. And uh, we certainly hope that's the case. Absolutely. And uh, shout out to everybody who said, hey, uh, open practice and uh, last week at the Gator Gathering. Uh, a lot of fun and a lot of good things going on here uh, at Gators Breakdown. we got a lot to get into here uh, in pertaining to uh, spring ball. But before we get there, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find an archive of all the Gators Breakdown episodes, as well as articles from the News for Jack Sports team. Catch the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and Spotify. And when using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Well, being at the open practice, it was apparent. Uh, it's, you know, this uh, 
this is Felipe Frank. You know, he, he's not only the starting quarterback of this team. There is no question about that anymore. Uh, but that you know, he, he is evolving into being a better quarterback. And uh, you know, this is his offense, his team. I think he's taking it uh, all in sometimes with, with a chip on his shoulder. He's confident, in control, uh, but he does have that chip on his shoulder. That, that, that mean streak that helped him last season. It's still there. I, he, he he's looked great all spring so far. You know, I'm trying not to get too excited and, and put too much into spring practice, but he he does look better than he ever has. You know, well, whether it be in past season practices or games, he simply just looks better. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the key question going into 20, 2019, right? Is whether that switch that got flipped in South Carolina is a per, you know about halfway through that game is a permanent thing, or whether you know it had something to do with the competition, or you know, I mean, because the guy who showed up against Florida State and against Michigan's a really good quarterback, and if Florida's got him the entire year, well, then it's going to be a really successful year. So, um, you know, the fact that he's sort of taking shots even though he's in the uh, practice jersey is a uh, I don't know if that's a good side or a bad side because you really you want your quarterback to run out of bounds when he needs to. And and to be honest, I think that's something that he's going to have to learn this year. I mean, there were times last year where just out of desperation, you needed him to put his head down and make sure that he got the first down or got the touchdown or or, or what have you. But I think in 2019, there are going to be some times where he's going to have to be smart about things and maybe not take a hit um, just because just because Florida's going to want him out there. Yeah, I, I was surprised Saturday at – the, and I was asking Thomas Goldcamp and Nick Delatore about this and how how physical have the quarterbacks been and, and I was surprised the amount of running they were doing uh, Saturday in the open practice you know but it was apparent Saturday you know the first play of 11 on 11 uh, it took some time to develop and then Franks gets pressured he's not panicking as he avoids a heavy rush and then hits an open receiver over the middle uh, he wasn't flustered kept his eyes downfield made and makes a perfect throw so you know as the day went on uh, in more 11 on 11. Uh, running routes on air, you know, it really didn't matter the situation. He was on point throughout most of the day. Uh, it's the best I've ever seen him throw the ball. So, but Will, and the thing that got headlines <laughs> on Saturday, we also got the emotional and chip on his shoulder, Franks, on Saturday, as you kind of alluded to there. Uh, at one point, your know, Franks gets sacked, or, or what would be a sack in a real game by Zachary Carter, and Carter just kind of wrapped up Felipe Franks, and uh, but, you know, but it wasn't a hard hit or anything like that. But Franks didn't like it for whatever reason, and uh, Carter then taps Franks on the helmet, and I'm not sure if anything was said as we weren't too close to the action. Then all of a sudden. Frank zings the ball uh, at Carter in the back of the helmet, and that started a you know kind of a ruckus between the offense and defense, but it didn't really last all that long. And then comes the next play. Uh, Frank's running left for a pretty good gain, and then lowers his shoulder and and runs through Sean Davis. When Frank's, you know, he pretty much knows he can't be hit uh, as a quarterback right now, uh, as they're practicing. So you know, there was some jawing back and forth, and that pretty much leads to the coaches moving on to the next drills before it escalated uh, any more than that. So, Will, I, I don't think it's a big deal with all that went on Saturday, it, it sounds much bigger than it really is. And with everything surrounding Frank's being a positive right now, I really do think that plays into kind of the, the, the way we're looking at it. You know, if, if, if we you know, we you know we how fiery he can be and that helped him towards the end of last season, you know, now if this was the Franks that has been struggling kind of the, Go Georgia Missouri game or seasons before that, then maybe the narrative is a little bit different with this. But seeing how well he's playing, seeing how well your reports are being made, you know, I think as much as we hear about team scuffles and altercations all the time, it's kind of you know just one of those things that just happened. 
Yeah, I mean, I think these things happen in in every team, right? It's just maybe not quite as visible, or at least not as not reported as heavily as this one was. And you know, I mean, it, it the reality is is that when a quarterback is cocky or when a quarterback shows some attitude, um, you know, he's going to be criticized for it if he plays poorly, and he's going to be lauded for it if he plays well. No one ever said anything about Johnny Manziel when he was at Texas A and M when he was winning games, but all of a sudden when he gets to the NFL and he has some trouble, then oh, it's his personality. And and I think you know last year we saw that a little bit in the South Carolina game where Franks was shushing fans. You know, after that game, there was an awful lot of talk about that, and then all of a sudden Florida started winning, and nobody was nobody said anything about it because he was winning the games. In fact, then the attitude was a good thing. So. You know, I think we can probably read about as much into it as we want. I'm not sure that it really matters. I think, um, you know, the the biggest thing is do his do his teammates respect him, or do they think he's taking cheap shots? And I think from everything we've heard, they respect him. And so, you know, this is just a good competition during a spring practice. And to be honest, um, they probably need something to liven it up every once in a while and 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 get the juices flowing. And this is probably just that. Yeah, I think you can see if you follow the players on social media, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, how, however it may be, you see them. Well, last week it was a video of Franks walking into a locker room with some kind of cowboy boots on, and, and <laughs> guys were making fun of him. Uh, you know, so it, 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 it good hearted fun. And then you had the video Friday night of and Felipe Franks is there again. He's one of the guys throwing Nick Savage into the uh, cold bathtub for Nick Savage's 30th birthday. Uh, and then, you know, that stuff just happens a day later at practice and all that. And, you know, it, like I said, it didn't really, there was some, the defense was hitting hard kind of the rest of the practice as practice moved through uh, seven on seven and 11 on 11. And when DBs could take a shot at running backs or linebackers could take a shot at running backs and DBs could take a shot at receivers. There was some, there was some hits there. And I don't, don't necessarily know if that would have been been the case if Franks didn't you know do what he did earlier in the practice but yeah it, there's not much to be made of it and I think from everything that we've seen you know from a lack of off-field trouble and kind of the the things going on with the team and and the coaching staff and it looks like how close they are together as yeah it, it is much to do about nothing and and really just a talking point at this point yeah I mean and and it, you know, it, it sets the tone, right? I mean, like you just said, that the practice was more physical because that sort of set the tone. So, you know, if, if that's if that's Frank's style of leadership, then great. I mean, if the team tackles better because they practiced it in the spring, then, then that's a good thing, right? And again, as long as they respect him and it seems like they do, like you said, then then I don't think it's any, any issue at all. Now, I mean, you know, it becomes an issue if you go out there and lay a couple of eggs in the middle of the year and all of a sudden people are talking about, you know, attitude issues, but, you know, Again, if, if you play well, nobody says anything. If you play poorly, everybody looks to parse those sorts of things. And, you know, when he wasn't playing very well against Georgia and Missouri, you know, everybody sort of looked at the attitude and, and you know, that there wasn't really that cockiness there. And then it came out against South Carolina. All of a sudden he's playing well and everybody thinks it's a great thing. So, um, you know, I think it's probably much to do about nothing and, and it's spring ball and we're, we're all looking for some for some way to read into what's going on but the reality is we're not going to know until that game against miami and if he comes out and throws for 300 yards he can say whatever he wants absolutely uh we'll go and kind of move it along the offense right now right now at running back it's lamaco p ryan and everyone else and i mean that in a good way you know p ryan is looking that good uh and the staff knows what they have in him especially after you know last season and especially how he ended last season we talked about how frank's ended last season p ryan Probably ended the season just as well, and, and and on a high note, just as much as Felipe Franks did. You know, it's not now. It's time to see just how much of a workload 
Damian Pierce and Malik Davis can handle. And I tell you what, was I was really impressed with those two as well. Uh, Davis showing no signs of injury and still quick and smooth as we, we remember him uh, two seasons ago and had a few good runs on Saturday. And another part of playing running back is pass blocking, Will. I know you really look at that. And Damian Pierce had a great block on the blitzing C.J. Williams, and that gave Franks enough time to complete a pass to a tight end uh, toward the end of practice as they were going on 11-11. Uh, so, yeah, we know what we have in Piran, and I still think – and he, he's going to be special. And But I, I'm still wondering how the, the carries are split. Last year it was split almost 50-50, uh, or not really 50-50, but even carries between Piran and Scarlett, those two, two led the way. I'm kind of inter- interested to see with they're not featuring him as much in spring, so they're kind of maybe saving him for fall, and they know what he can do. I'm, I am very interested in seeing how – the carries get dispersed between Pierce Davis and even uh, a player like Iverson Clement. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it probably has a lot to do with keeping him healthy throughout the course of the year. I mean, you know, once you get up by 20 points, you don't want to waste the running back. Who's going to be your bell cow for the entire year. And, and that was one of the benefits in having both Scarlett and P Ryan last year and having them split carries. I suspect that what you probably see is P. Ryan getting about as many carries as last year, maybe 10 or 20% more. So he had 134 carries last year, averaged 6.2 yards per attempt. I don't know that you're going to see a whole lot more than that. Maybe you see him up in that 150, 160 range, you know, where he's getting 12, 13, 14 carries a game rather than, rather than eight or nine. And then you split the carries that Scarlett got between Davis and, and Pierce. I think that's probably what we'll see. Um, especially again, when you go into those games that aren't necessarily, aren't necessarily the, uh, you know, you expect them to be blowouts. Now, last year coming into the year, we weren't sure whether we'd see any blowouts because we hadn't seen any in three years under McElwain, really. But last year there were some of those, and, and now there's an opportunity to get those younger guys playing time. You know, I remember against Tennessee, really sort of the first half of the year, Pierce was sort of the finisher, right? They brought him in to hit that one long run to put the game away, and I think it's sort of the same thing. And, you know, I, I think we also forget that, that two years ago, Malik Davis was a really good back mm-hmm. and was really the best guy in the backfield. He clearly Really had an explosion that 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 Pirine didn't have at least at the time. Now Pirine has proven himself to be much more durable and proven himself to be very consistent and proven himself to be quite a threat in the pass game as well. Especially against Michigan, he had that long screen pass against Vanderbilt that that got him three points at the end of the half. You know those those sorts of things starting to differentiate himself in other ways. You mentioned pass protection. Um, you know Florida's offensive line played a lot better last year than they did two years ago, but um, I think they went something like 15 sacks the entire year. You, you don't do that without running backs who are picking up the blitz. And so Mullen's not going to play guys who don't pick it up. And and um, I think he's proven that. And we'll see we'll see sort of how the guys pick things up as they go along. But that's what I would sort of suspect is that Pirine is going to get the bulk of the carries, but then the carries that went to Scarlet last year are probably going to be split between those other two. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the way I lean too, Will. And that's something else that's going to happen in the in the very first kind of warm up play where they were still in the indoor facility uh, at this point. They hadn't moved to the outside yet, but the very first play where the offense lines up, Will Kadarius Tony was in the backfield, and later on in practice, he motions into the backfield and gets a carry as well. So there, that's going to happen, and also taking carries and that leads me to, you know, where does this leave a player like Iverson Clement, who I also think can be, you know, a pretty good running back in his own right, but he's not playing above P. Ryan. He's not going to play above Pierce or Davis. It doesn't look like right now. Kadarius Tony's going to get touches in the backfield as well. 
Florida's deep at running back, and we know that. And if they stay healthy, I do wonder where a player like Iverson Komet can can make his way. I, maybe they can move him to receiver, but they're deep there as well. Uh, as far as this year goes, maybe he can maybe get get a little more play. He's a running back first and foremost, but if we want some playing time, we may you know they may may see him at receiver a little bit. And I'm kind of talking more towards next year because of the depth they have there. So I, I do wonder where a player like Iverson Komet can go for the 2019 season. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it is going to be determined by by what he shows on special teams. I mean, I think that's really where you look first, right? Is you know, when when Chris Rainey came into the program, you know, more than a decade ago at this point, you know, that's where he made his mark. A lot of Urban Myers players made their mark on special teams. And quite honestly, I think that's how you're gonna earn your playing time on the field. The fact that they're moving Tony into running back or at least having him come in and, and set in the running back means that they feel like they're pretty comfortable at the wide receiver spot. And so I, I don't know that you're going to be, be able to break into either one of those things. I think you're going to have to break in as a kick returner or a punt returner or, you know, coming after punts and kicks on, on the defensive side of the ball. That's where I would look for Clement to make a mark. And then, you know, obviously – the SEC is a tough place to play, and there are three running backs in front of them. But two years ago, the running backs were going down like flies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, that's why people, you know, that's why a lot of the guys who got in got in. And and the same thing may happen this year, right? So you never can foresee what's going to happen. He's just a redshirt freshman. He's got an awful lot of time to establish himself. But I would say that special teams is a place where he can differentiate himself. And, man, what a nice problem to have, to yes. have very, very talented guys who can't get on the field. <laughs> so, it's, you know, he may not think it's that great, but I certainly do to have to be able to put guys who are high-level talent on special teams to make them earn the reps there and then to have them come in in their sophomore, junior, and senior year to contribute rather than having to always shoehorn the guy who's maybe more talented but a lot more green onto the field very, very early. So, um, you know, I, I suspect that, that Clement is going to get an opportunity this year to do a few things, whether it's on special teams or whether it's, you know, because of injury. And when he does, he's going to have to take advantage of it. Well, let's move on to the biggest question mark of the team and the offense as well. And it's the, you know, right now the starting five on the offensive line, uh, Stone Forsyth, Brett Hagee, Nick Buchanan, Chris Bleich, uh, John DeLance, that's from left to right there. Coming along nice. Yeah, the, the first, if you want to call them starting five right now, that kind of seems to be the starting five uh, at this point in spring practice. You know, pairing that group with the running backs that we just discussed and the, and the quarterback running as well. You know, and this starting five on the offensive line makes for a, a pretty powerful running attack. You know, they were physical in practice, opening plenty of holes throughout the day. I thought the defensive line got the bet, got better uh, towards the end of the day, led by T.J. Slayton, Elijah Conliffe, and Mahmoud Diabate there as well uh, late. But, you know, but this group of offensive linemen is putting it together maybe ahead of expectations, uh, especially on the ground and in, in the ground game. Uh, Gene DeLance is, is you know, getting some notice out there at right tackle, and Stone Forsyth is living up to what I thought he'd be uh, so far at left tackle. And there's still some growing pains there, especially in pass blocking uh, at the tackle position and inside as well. The, the pass blocking, the run blocking is well ahead uh, of the pass blocking. That's pretty apparent right there. Uh, and there's still, you know, still showing some growing pains here, and, and this group is so new. And, Will, it leads me to what we may see this year's uh, on what we may see in this year's offense and maybe being more like I thought it would be last season. Uh, there's a, a deep stable of running backs. We just discussed. You have a quarterback that can run the ball. You have an offensive line that looks to be pretty good run blocking. This may be where the run game is even more of a focus this year. And, and the passing game is more converting third downs and hitting large chunk type of plays. 
That's not to say that the passing game isn't any good or can't be any good, won't be any good eventually. But even with Franks progressing and the deep core wide receivers that's there, you know, the offensive line may turn to what we saw last season, late last season, where the run games really got going late in the season and then the entire offense opened up. Yeah, I, I don't think it's really a surprise that the offensive line is doing better on the ground than they are through the air. I mean, I think a lot of times guys who don't have a whole lot of experience out in the field tend to be better run blocking than they are pass blocking anyway, especially when you're going up against guys like Jabari Zaniga <laughs> there on the edge and, and Grantham trying to confuse people and, you know, stunts. I know that I read were, were I think Thomas Goldcamp had written that the stunts were really giving, especially the second team trouble, but really, you know, those sorts of things, complex defensive concepts that force you to communicate when you don't have a lot of continuity are going to, are going to show up in the passing game versus in the running game where you've got your assignment and you get out in space and you can sort of dominate just physically there. Um, you know, I, I think I think if, if we learned one thing last year, it's that Mullen can adjust to his personnel. So in the game against Mississippi State, where he didn't think his offensive line could really block that defensive line, the ball got out really quick on a bunch of screen passes, right? Especially because Mississippi State was playing off on the outside. And I think you'll see the same thing next year, that if Mullen doesn't think his offensive line can hold up against a particular defensive line, then yeah, he's going to do things like screen passes. He's going to do things like bubble screens, quick slants, like, you know, just the kind of, and, and even we saw the other day, I think, and at least I saw on Twitter that, uh, that they ran the tight end pitch up the middle. And that, again, is something designed to slow down the defensive line. So I suspect that we will see some things that are scheme-based that help the offensive line in some capacity. I also don't think it's a coincidence that they have a bunch of tight ends on the roster, mm. and I'm really interested to see how they use the tight ends. I mean, I know Kyle Pitts isn't necessarily classified as a tight end, really. I mean, he's playing a lot like a wide receiver, but, uh, you know, Kroll is a big guy. Can he block and really sort of give him an advantage? A lot like New England's had with Gronkowski the last few years, where you got a big guy who can block but can also win the one-on-one -on -one battles in the passing game and you know if they can get um if they get good pass protection from the running back and good pass protection from the tight end I, or an ability to chip to help the tackles on the outside i think they'll be all right i you know i, I have a lot of confidence in in john havasey i mean i think one of the things last year was you know the, the offensive line wasn't very good two years ago and last year they got progressively better throughout the year and I think we'll probably see that this year. I think maybe they're very run heavy against Miami in some of those opening mm -hmm. games, but you would expect them to open up the offense as they go in some capacity, the same way they opened up the offense with Franks last year as the season wore on. I mean, you know, they, they were very exclusively one running back, one tight end early on in the year. And then by the time they got to the Michigan game, they had formations all over the place. And, and that's just sort of the guys learning the offense. And I think, you know, again, for the offensive line, these are new guys, not necessarily new to the system this year, but new to being out on the field. And they're going to have to sort of feed them slowly. They're not going to be able to give them the entire offense, um, you know, all at once. And, and that's okay. Yeah, we have plenty of time to preview it going into the season too. But it does make me wonder if we'll see Emory Jones more early in the season. Uh, more so than we thought to kind of keep Franks from getting hit so much as well. Because I mean, he's your guy. He's your quarterback. Uh, yes, you're going to want him to run to keep defenses honest, but also to limit uh, the the hits on Franks. I, th I do think, and seeing Emory, he, he did struggle Saturday more, the, more than he has uh, all spring. You know, Kyle Trask looked pretty good Saturday. Uh, but, you know, Emory, Emory's the number two guy uh, right now. He still looked really good, really smooth running the ball uh, on, on on Saturday, but didn't have his best practice. But I do think with the way this offensive line is shaking out right now uh, and maybe early on in the season as well, that I do think uh, we might get a – we might see more Emory Jones 
uh, than, than we thought. Uh, but look, for this offensive line, plenty of time for the group to come together. Uh, finding depth is going to be key. Uh, can Richard Garage start pressing for one of the starting tackle roles? Uh, Hagee and Buchanan are the most experienced guys of the group right now, but they're, they're going to need some help at some point in the season. And early enrollee, King, Kingsley Aguakin, done some good things at, at center. Uh, his short time there, and uh, can Noah Banks eventually get back in the fold? Somebody we haven't seen or probably won't see all spring. You know, there, there needs to be about eight guys that the staff likes for for fall camp, and, and with all the youth there, it's going to take some time and patience. And uh, doesn't as you will, as you said, it doesn't need to be perfect right now. No, and you, there's a lot of guys coming into the fall. So, you know, they're going to be able to pick from from not just the guys who are there right now, but some of the true freshmen who are going to be coming in. And, you know, if you're talking about guys who are physically gifted, I mean, the guys who are coming in from this past recruiting class are probably the most physically gifted group of offensive linemen who've come to Florida in quite a long time. And so I would expect some of those guys to get an opportunity or at least push the guys who've been there in the spring. So, um, you know, these guys are going to have to pick it up. I, you know, it's 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 a competition at every position. Mullen's made that clear. And so if those guys come in in the fall and they're better, they're going to play. But, but no, nah, I think the future offensive line is really bright. But obviously early in the season, that's a place where, um, you know, Mullen may have to scheme around it. And that's just something that he's going to have to have to figure out before the opener. And I think something we probably have some confidence in too. So, <laughs> um on defense, Will, uh, got to see a good bit of uh, Tadero Slayton, Elijah Conliffe, uh, Zachary Carter uh, on Saturday, Mamou Diabate as well to a lesser degree. And I, I really like what I saw from him, but uh, he did get a rude awakening uh, one time when he was a pancake or kind of stonewalled by T.J. Moore <laughs> late in 11-on-11 11 11 drills. And kind of, a, you know, welcome, hey, freshman, welcome welcome to the SEC. Uh, toward, toward the end of practice, Slayton was in the backfield uh, swatting down uh, a pass, which he did multiple times uh, that day, getting a sack. Uh, I really think Florida can be confident in what they have. On the defensive front right now, Grenard ha- has come in uh, and is such a good fit for what Todd Grantham really wants to do. brings a lot of experience in this defense, and I think he'll fill in nice for, for Ja'Kai Polite, much like I, uh, I predicted in the spring, Will Zaniga's not really getting many reps, kind of like Michael P. Ryan. They know what they have in him, not getting many reps because the coaches know. Hey, look. He can do this. Let's get these guys that have some less less experience in here, see what they can do. But when he's been in, he's been getting in the backfield. You know, so so that pairing of him and Grenard will be a force. Uh, with Bernie at linebacker, this defense is so fast. I was impressed with uh, this, this the speed overall on defense uh, on Saturday. And, hey, what well, little I saw of Cedric Brunson and Josiah Pierre, so two, two young linebackers there, uh, kind of showing up. Brunson was very physical, uh, lay in the wood and practice, and then Pierre showed some good speed and burst off the line. Uh, you know, tie this all together with a secondary that can cover, and I mean cover, Will. Uh, look, we know how good C.J. Henderson is and how fast he is, but I, I focused on him for probably two or three plays in a row, and it's just ridiculous watching him. He he, he is glue. And even if a wide receiver got to catch a pass, most were short catches, and then Henderson was right there uh, to make a would-be tackle. Brian Edwards was everywhere Saturday picking off Emory Jones uh, in back-to-back passes. One was a deflection off of a wide receiver. So with Grantham coming back, well, I'm I'm drinking the Kool Aid, man. This defense is going to be even better than last season. Well, I mean, I, I certainly hope so. I, I think you know the the first guy you really mentioned is going to be one of the big keys. T.J. Slayton is going to have to take up a couple of guys up front, and he doesn't necessarily have to get a ton of a ton of penetration, though you would obviously like him to do that. But really, you know, my biggest concern when it comes to the defense, like 
they're a lot faster than they were last year and certainly faster than they were two years ago. The concern is, is what happens when they come up against a team that can really run the ball. And, you know, if, if an offensive lineman gets on Amari Bernie, Bernie isn't big enough right now to be able to, to be able to stand up against that. And so having defensive tackles and defensive linemen who can occupy multiple offensive linemen, not let them get to the second level allows somebody like Bernie to run sideline to sideline. And all of a sudden you've got a really dynamic defense. So, um, you know, the, the defense, obviously, I don't think any of us are really worried about the defensive backs, especially if Marco Wilson comes back healthy. Um, certainly nice to hear that some of the safeties are stepping up and really and really shutting things down as well. But uh, I, I think, you know, when you really look at how the defense excels this year, it's going to be based on how do those guys up front. So you, you talk about Conliffe and Dunlap and, and Schuler and and uh, and maybe even Langham being able to set the edge. I mean, that, that to me is going to be the place where – if they can allow those linebackers to roam free, we already know what David Reese can do when he doesn't get a, when he doesn't get an offensive lineman on him. And I think Bernie's going to be just really dynamic if they can keep him clean. And so that'll be sort of the key for the season. Yeah, I think the, the, the speed is, I mean, uh, unreal on what they have there. We kind of you know, we kind of spoke to that and just how much we, we've seen players just line up. You know, not really uh, at one spot or another. They they move them. They move them around, and the, vers- the versatility I think really lends itself to a having a lot of speed uh, on this defense. Will kind of a um, kind of a spring headline here, and uh, kind of weird to have a transfer at in the middle of spring practice. You know, guys kind of wait till after. But Tonyus Clayton uh, is going to transfer from Florida. Will and you know, of course, it was uh, you know, we've heard rumors for for years. No, not years. Well, for months now, uh, that Clayton, you know, may just you know may not be getting it done at, at Florida. A lot of people kind of expected it maybe toward the end of last year. Uh, came back uh, this spring, and I kind of just think maybe just because uh, of maybe wanting to to kind of see where he fit through through spring ball, and maybe the first two weeks wasn't going his way, uh, and he's going to decide to uh, transfer from Florida. Uh, in the letter uh, he penned on Twitter, he said, first off, I want to thank God for the opportunities that were given to me ever since this thing started to kick off for the past three years. I've given the University of Florida everything I've gotten on and off the field, and I'm forever grateful for Coach Mack, Coach Rumpf, and Coach Collins for recruiting me and allowing me to come attend a wonderful university and meet my amazing teammates and amazing professors here at the university. After t- talking it over with my family, I've decided to transfer and see what my future holds in store for me and my son and my family. Uh, please understand this decision is harder than it sounds, but please understand I will be forever grateful for Gator Nation for their support, and I wish you all the best. AC out. So um, uh, so on Saturday, Will, I had a fan uh, send a conversation to me, uh, back channels on Twitter, DM, uh, and he had a conversation with Clayton where Clayton just came out and informed him of his plans to transfer. And this was right after open practice on Saturday. Uh, kind of thought the the timing was odd and also odd to let it be known in, out in public like that. But, uh, you know, we just figured if it was going to happen that it would be after spring ball. Uh, well, you know, and now just discussing the defense that we just discussed, one thing I can say is I, I barely saw Clayton on the field Saturday. Uh, so maybe he was just waiting to see how he would fit in this spring, like I said, and, and if he could crack the rotation. But, you know, it doesn't look like he, he's too much in the plans right now. Uh, I did notice in his letter uh, he left uh, on, on Twitter there that he didn't mention the current staff at all. Uh, so maybe there's there's something to that. But, Will, you know, the 27th ranked player uh, in the 2016 class will transfer from the University of Florida. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty big whiff as far as recruiting is concerned. But, you know, best of luck to him. I, I think, you know, he, he hasn't 
he's been nothing but high class when he's been at the university from everything that I've heard. And, you know, the, the, you know, he's, he's worked as hard as he could, I'm sure. And certainly um, still values the time that he had at Florida. And once you're a Gator, you're always a Gator. So best of luck to him. Um, obviously I think the transition to Mullen probably seemed like a, uh, a fresh start for him because he wasn't, he didn't really show a whole lot in the first year when McElwain was here, but obviously that hasn't really materialized either. And, you know, when you're not recruited by the guy who, who takes over, then it becomes a question of, you know, what happens to, you know, are you able to build that relationship or do the guys that he brings in who are his guys start to establish themselves and sort of, and differentiate themselves. And so, you know, I don't think it'd be a surprise to see him pop up, pop up at Georgia Tech with Collins or 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 maybe or maybe even Central Michigan with McElwain where you know he he would have the opportunity to play there. And as far as the timing is concerned, I mean I, yeah, he might have wanted to see where he stood in the spring. I don't know what his status is in terms of graduating. So if he graduates after the spring semester, um you know if he can pick up an extra class over the summer or something because he's not out there on the field, mm-hmm. then maybe he can graduate and be a transfer who plays immediately. I just don't know the details of yeah. that. So, you know, I mean I think at the end of the day again, it's one of those things where um, you know, we said it with Clement. It's a good problem to have to have guys who are really talented who who can't make their way onto the field. Um, you certainly want somebody like Clayton to to be out there and be a contributor. But but if he's not going to do that, then you know it's it's one of those things where you're just like, okay, you wish him well and say good luck. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was going to be tough to get playing time over Grenard, uh, the, the younger Reese, Chatfield, Diabate, Pierre, and all that with Jeremiah Moon, who's missing spring and will be coming back in the fall. So, as you said, plenty of players there, plenty of depth, plenty of talent there for Florida. You know, maybe maybe a fresh start is just what Clayton needs. You know, just kind of just been a lot of rumors about, you know, maybe him not being happy or with playing time and uh, all that. So, maybe you can go out there and get some playing time and you're kind of and go make go make a name for himself, you know, somewhere uh, that happens all the time with transfers. And I uh, hope he, uh, as you said, hope he goes off and do well and, and does well. Uh, and you know, as you said, there's no telling. I think going maybe to Georgia Tech with Collins, uh, who's re- who's re- recruiting pretty well uh, for Georgia Tech right now. Uh, if, if that would be a fit there, or maybe somewhere at a, a lower level school, if he wants to go play right away. But as you said, don't really know the details uh, behind that. But we'll sure be sure to keep an eye on uh, where Antonio's Clayton ends up next so we'll uh throughout the tweet uh wanted to ask some of our listeners out there you know what are your thoughts on spring practice so far positive negative likes or dislikes and here we go from uh kevin rowell um let's see love to see that high level competition amongst different position groups again excited about growth and development of the quarterback room spring brawl so far has reiterated reiterated that this team's success would depend on how well the offensive line develops as we move forward. Well, we did hit a hit on a, a lot of that there, uh, but kind of just going to what we talked about with Clement uh, and and Clayton right there, uh, kind of, uh, you know, listener here, Kevin, good friend of mine, uh, does also mention and see that, hey, look, high-level competition is out there, uh, and we, look, we see it all over. You know, Franks is getting a little bit of push, for, uh, you know, for, from quarterback depth. Running backs there, uh, off, offensive lines got to figure out. Wide receiver, they're so deep. You kind of know what you have there. Uh, we'll see what, what, some, what some young guys can maybe do uh, to crack the rotation there. But uh, And then there's competition everywhere. Safety, linebacker, uh, defensive end, uh, kind of behind Jabari Zuniga. There, there is a lot of good competition right now. Yeah, I mean, that's what Mullen's been saying ever since he got here. I think the, the things you're sort of looking for are those guys who are going to separate themselves 
um, as the as the guys who are really the difference makers. I think we've seen that a little bit with Grimes. Um, you know, hopefully we'll see some of that with with Tony in the backfield. But you know, Florida's only a couple of guys away from being really really dynamic on both sides of the ball and and it's nice to see that and also nice to see that if there's an injury it feels like there are guys who can step in absolutely here and harold jackson good friend here from uh, here in jacksonville harold says i like how they're giving more reps to the other backs because they know what they have in p ryan smart uh keep his load down for the season and for the nfl uh, okay, yeah, we kind of hit that on for sure. Um, kind of a couple thoughts here. One from College Football 24-7, and I'll combine that because he says Jacob Copeland for sure, uh, and that kind of goes along with Michael uh, Jeffrey here. Uh, he's happy about some newish names that we are hearing, Malik, Steele, Bernie, Deland, Pitts. Hope to hear more about Zachary Carter, Garage, Antonius Clayton, Emery, Pierce, and Copeland. So I'll kind of go through there for the names that I hope to hear more about. Zachary Carter had a really good practice on Saturday uh, really disruptive, um, had his hands up in the air, knocked down some passes. It was also, uh, you know, involved in, in, in hitting Franks and uh, getting a, a ball thrown out of his helmet. So <laughs> that's the storyline there. Uh, Richard Garage, you know, we'll see. Uh, kind of offensive line, we talked about how it's shaking out now, but I still think there's a chance for him to push off uh, one of those starting tackle roles. Uh, Tonyus Clayton, of course, we hit on. He's going to transfer. Emory Jones, as I said, has looked good all spring long. Did have his worst day on Saturday. I wouldn't say terrible by any means. I still think he can be a really big weapon running the ball, but uh, he's got he's got a good live arm uh, for, from as well. Pierce is really showing up as well. And I think you know you, him, Malik Davis is right behind P Ryan, and I don't think you can uh, really say uh, there, there, there are two A and two B uh, right now. I think you'll be happy with either one. Well, I did notice right at the beginning of practice, Jacob Copeland did come out. Uh, he was in street clothes. Uh, didn't participate in practice once again. Uh, hamstring injury still bugging him. Uh, kind of, and while you know, while I would love for him to be out there, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I'm not sure how much playing time he'd actually get with how deep Florida is at wide receiver. Does he does he bring being a different dynamic out there? Sure, he does. But how deep Florida is and, and snaps are going to be limited anyway. You know, he's going to be needed much more this time next season and you know he needs to be healthy he needs to be ready to be to, to fully go then more so than now yeah well you absolutely want him to be healthy particularly if he's going out in the spring during spring yeah. practice though obviously as young as he is these are reps that are important for him not necessarily just this year but for next year as well but uh, you know the, the other thing is is that Again, I go back to what I said about Clement. Like special teams is a place where you can contribute at this point, even when it's really deep at wide receiver. And and so that's maybe again the place where you'd want to see somebody like him, somebody like Clement, um, really starting to get some reps. You know, regardless of where it is. I mean, Copeland looks <laughs> looks the part when you see when you see some of the pictures on on Twitter of of him out there and and sort of you know what what he's done under the program with Savage. And you know, once he can get right, I think he's going to be able to do some things that maybe some of the guys on the team can't do right now sort of um you know being able to break some tackles and maybe hit a couple of long ones when he's able to break tackles which isn't something that necessarily has happened at florida a lot over the last few years so um yeah i i think when you've got a dynamic athlete like that you want to get him out on the field you want to see what he can do but obviously it doesn't help to have him out there if he's not healthy so you know you get him as get him as healthy as you can go into the fall and, and go from there all right uh will you're gonna love this one andrew jeffrey says positive looks like um, Franks looks like he's taking the next step as well as uh, EJ. Negative. We can only beat FSU in Miami once this year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know how to respond to that, Dave. So. <laughs> 
if there was a way we could beat them twice, good for it. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe there is. We have to play uh, one of them in a bowl game. But nah, yeah, well, uh, for that Florida State, have to make a bowl game. So. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, and if that's the case, maybe we beat Miami. Miami goes on to some high level bowl game, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen either. So. Uh, uh, I'll take beating each team once. Uh, so let's see. Zachary Garner says, I haven't been there, but I only know from what I hear here on Twitter. But from everything I've heard, we're taking good steps forward in conditioning and scheme and what everybody seems to be uh, in growing into their roles. So, well, I kind of wanted to look at more that you brought it up a little bit earlier and, and everybody growing into their roles. And one, when we did our kind of spring preview, the one position group I thought I wanted to bring up here would be tied in and how they've been used a lot in the passing game so far, especially down the seam. Uh, and as you alluded to earlier, hey, look, we even got to see the uh, the fame shovel pass to a tight end that wears number 81. And then Dante Lang, I got to take this one. Uh, but Gamble has really impressed me in the catches he can make. Uh, and, and one on Saturday, he had defenders draped all over him and, and was still was still able to catch the ball. Uh, Pitts is still working a, a lot with the wide receiver position more. And I see him as a big matchup problem uh, coming up this year. Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to come down to their blocking, right? If, if the defense has to respect their blocking, then they have to send out base personnel when you've got the tight end out there. If they don't have to respect the blocking from the tight end, then they can put a defensive back on them. And so that, I think, is that, you know, it's great to see these guys going down the seam and making fantastic catches and being athletic and all those sorts of things. But, you know, if, if uh, it, Mullen's ability to scheme is really based and, – and we see this on the defensive side of the ball with all the guys who are so versatile. I mean, Bernie's ability to come down to linebacker gives them the ability to do all sorts of stuff because the guy's a safety. And so he can play – you know, he can play one-on-one -on -one coverage with tight ends and have no problem. And so that sort of versatility on offense, um, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see whether they have a catching a pass catching tight end and then a blocking tight end, or whether they can find a guy who can do both of those well enough that they can really exploit those matchups. But they certainly have a lot of talent at that position. And, and it's going to be interesting to see how Mullen uses it going forward. All right. A couple more tweets here. Uh, Justin Wood says, I like how confident the quarterbacks look and how they have a grasp of the offense. I think that the cornerbacks are way deeper than I anticipated. Uh, I'm not really sure what to think of the offensive line. They have their moments. They uh, look great. There other uh, other times they get manhandled, and that's what we're going to get from a young offensive line right now. They're going to they're going to be some inconsistencies. They're going to run block well. Pass blocking still needs to be worked on, as we mentioned earlier. But uh, there's going to be some inconsistency uh, and some up and downs um, right now. So yeah, I think. Uh, and then uh, Michael Bowden says offensive line has the most to prove. Can they compete with SEC? defensive line so yeah we just well it's just going to take some time and as you said and i think we said it back in our preview as well i think we'll hear some good things we'll hear some bad things about this offensive line and it's just to me going to be a big guessing game until they line up against miami yeah, well, you can never really trust what you hear out of the spring practice anyway. I mean, you see the open practice and, and you can get a little bit of a feel and you can certainly see the guys who are out there excelling. But, you know, is, is Carter getting to the quarterback because the tackle isn't doing a very good job or is the tackle playing really, really well and Carter's just excelling? You know, you can't really tell that just because you don't know, right? Now, the good news is, is that they don't have to block an SEC offensive line week one. They just have to block an ACC defensive line week one. And so, you know, it, it's not it's not playing playing Woford or something like that, but it's 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 not, I would say, not an SEC-quality defensive line, or at least not LSU or Georgia or Alabama. So, um, you know, they're going to come out, and it's going to be it's going to be good competition to start with, but I don't know that it's necessarily going to be elite, and, uh, you know, we'll get to see how they, how they progress from there. 
Speaking of Miami, Will, Tate Martell gets eligible, and uh, if he can win the quarterback battle at Miami, the Gators will be his first opponent, and he's in a battle with Nikosi Perry and Jaron Williams. Those three have been uh, getting pretty much equal reps with the first-team offense so far for Miami, so there's no clear-cut starter early in spring ball. And not sure if there will be a winner in the spring. And look, I, I see it as, and if I'm Miami, hey, look, they held an advantage of uh, you know, not being able or not needing to name a starter. And if I was them, I'd keep the Gators guessing as long as possible. I and mean, I don't think it really matters as I'm not high on the quarterbacks from Miami. But, uh, you know, Martell is that kind of dynamic. Uh, you kind of think Johnny Menzel type there, kind of running around, trying to make plays happen. I'm not sure how that fits into a Dan Enos offense. Uh, we don't really know much about Jaron Williams either. He's got a big arm. Uh, and, and Perry was a train wreck last season for the Canes. So if he wins the job, then uh, I'd be worried if I was a Canes fan. Uh, but, you know, we had our very own quarterback turnaround here last season. So he, he could get turned around for him as well. Uh, he turns the ball over way too much uh, from what we saw last season. Can that, can that get fixed? But will, uh, with Martell getting his waiver cleared, it certainly puts an even bigger spotlight on this game that was you know, already getting it with a big rivalry game and the date being changed and being the kickoff game for the 2019 season. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, once Martell got cleared, it was, you know, the thing I tweeted out was, hey, there's no excuses now, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't say, well, we would have won if we'd have had Martell. It's like, now you've got the opportunity. And whether he's starting or whether he's the backup or whether he's the third string, you had him there, you got the transfer, and, and, and there's no excuses. Now, I will say, when you look at Martell's pedigree, I mean, so he's a four-star, um, 56th rated overall nationally, so really a pretty, pretty good player. Um, you know how I love completion percentage as a way of trying to translate from high school to college. His senior year, he had 63.3% completion percentage and averaged 11 yards per throw. That's not It's not really going downfield all that much, so I don't think you should necessarily expect him to come out bombing. Now, he did run for almost 1,300 yards, though, his senior season as well, averaged 8.6 yards per rush. So, you know, you mentioned Manziel. Um, obviously, Martell's pretty short and so maybe that's a pretty apt comparison and and gap integrity becomes important then right and so you know we've talked a lot about um, Emory Jones potentially spelling Felipe Franks and doing some things out of the read option I think that's something you might also see with Martell even if he doesn't win the job that he's enough of a threat to throw the ball that you might see some stuff where they bring him in as a wrinkle and have him in you know for a couple of series where you're letting him letting him use his legs as much as his arm but you know he didn't play poorly when he played last year for for Ohio State. I think, you know, I, I don't imagine Joe Burrow probably transfers from Ohio State unless he thought he was going to get beat out by Martell the next year as well. So, um, you know, I think he's a really good player. We'll see whether he fits into what Miami's going to do. And, what, and, you know, he hasn't had a whole lot of time to actually play out on the field. And if we had a first-year starter at Florida, we'd be concerned too. And I'm sure Miami fans feel the same way. Absolutely, but yeah, it definitely just ratcheted up um, Miami fans, uh, their side of things uh, for this game. Uh, they're definitely happy that he got uh, that he got eligible and uh, that he's eligible to play now. Uh, but yeah, it's only going to make the trash talk uh, that much better, Will, for the uh, next few months here. And as we count down the the, the days to the the uh, sole kickoff of the uh, of the twenty nineteen season. I don't know. Is there any way we can appeal for this to be a game they schedule every year too? Because, I mean, I'm already having fun with this being the first game of the year and all the back and forth between the fans on Twitter and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's just fun, right? I mean, uh, last year was great, but Charleston Southern isn't exactly getting my juices flowing game one. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
home and home with Miami, the sort of alternate the same way they do with Florida State would be something that I think most fans in the state of Florida would be in favor of. Now, you know, whether or not you could get Miami to agree to that and whether you could get Florida to agree to that, I'm not sure. But it certainly beats a home. It certainly beats a two for one with UCF. <laughs> Zing. So UCF. Uh, you know, they almost beat Duke. They almost. They're going to the Sweet 16 anyway. <laughs> they won the Stanley Cup last year, didn't you hear? <laughs> oh, all right. There we go. Um, one more thing before we go here uh, on this episode, Will, and uh, Gators Breakdown. We hit 1 million overall listens on this uh, episode when it gets out, out, out there this week. And uh, I can honestly say I never, ever thought it would come this far. Uh, I know I have thanked you out there every episode for listening but uh this milestone is something i never really even thought about uh when uh, you know when this thing started hey look i was happy to get 150 listens an episode you know now now every episode is about 6000 listens uh, throughout gator nation and i can't thank you enough for uh trusting enjoying sharing what gators breakdown has become uh, i never knew it would lead to to what it has you know former gator players that, that come on uh and you know being able to trust us and, and, and come on and, and talk gators football uh, espn and sec network personalities reporters writers and bloggers that cover the gators in college football uh leading to the television station i have worked for for the last 13 years uh wjxt uh partnering up and picking up gators breakdown you know i i'm honored to be a voice for Gator Nation and that you get joy out of this podcast. You have pushed me to do something I didn't think could be done uh, and have enjoyed every bit of it. So lastly, I have to thank Will, who has become such a great friend and a co-host and brings so much insight along with Bill Sykes, who you know really pushed the envelope of this podcast with his content and also Joey Vizzy, who jumped in early after his first few episodes and, and helped Gators break down, get off the ground. Uh, some of you have been around since those early episodes, and uh, we've grown together. Uh, and some of you have joined in uh, in between and, and recently. So I've met so many of you out there and pride myself on this being a fan's podcast. I hope you see it that way. And as I have said since the very first episode, it will always be a fan-first type of podcast and will always uh, make this thing about having fun first. So thank you for one million listens, and here's to many more, Will. Hey man, congratulations. I'm not sure people realize how hard it is to 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 do this sort of thing. And I mean, we love doing it and it's and it's a blast, but the the amount of work that you put into it's really impressive. So congratulations to you and I'm just happy to be along for the ride, you know? I mean, it's one of those things where yeah, you think you have something unique to say and you think you've got something that's a little bit different and the question is will people like it? And certainly people like what you're doing and uh and I'm sure they're uh, happy to see you keep doing it. Yeah, I think, uh, it, as I said, the, the, the moment it doesn't become fun, I won't do it, And but I don't ever see that coming up. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, my, I was talking to my mom today. I told her you were going to reach the, uh, the the millionth listen, and she's like, well, you got to give me a shout-out on the podcast. So uh, so she'll be listening to us while she's walking tomorrow. So, uh, <laughs> awesome. so hey, mom. <laughs> yeah, that, she might become the uh, one-minute listener for, for sure, as I said. Just a, a couple thousand away heading into this episode, so we'll definitely hit it uh, when this episode gets out for the uh, the next couple of days here. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, – it's a, it's a big milestone. I'm glad, I'm glad a lot of people have found joy in this thing, and uh, I find a lot of joy in doing it, uh, absolutely for sure. And I just uh, d- didn't think it would get to, to, to this point and, and where it has grown. So, uh, well, like I said, I can't thank you enough for uh, you know everything that you do and, and helping me out. 
Oh, man, it's been fun. And I want to extend the same thing to the fans. I mean, you know, thank you to everybody for listening, for reading, for coming up to us and, and encouraging us, all that sort of stuff. So even some of the people who don't have such nice things to say, that's that's good, too, because it's good to get constructive feedback from time to time. But, uh, you know, this is fun. It, it's a blast to do it. Like you said, we'll stop doing it when it's not fun anymore. But it really is a privilege to be able to. Um, to work with you, but also to be able to work or to be able to speak to the fans who are out there. And I think Gator Nation is the best set of fans that are out there. They're passionate, they're demanding, but that's what makes it fun. So, uh, you know, we're going to keep going, keep chugging along and, and looking forward to what comes next. There's never a dull moment, Will. Never a dull moment. Three times <laughs> a week at least, man. <laughs> Whether you're trying to do one episode or not. That's right. That's right. Uh, Will, hey, uh, read reaction. Uh, of course, we don't get into much basketball here on Gators Breakdown, but the Gators are out of the uh, NCAA tournament here. And you had a uh, really good article on, uh, you know, the kind of the status of Mike White and comparisons to Billy Donovan and, you know, how if the job's in any danger or whatever. And, uh, you know, at, Kind of, you know, how's it been kind of going toward the basketball route of things on reading reaction and what else you got coming up? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, uh, last year when Florida got bounced from the tournament, I wrote something about about White and where he was and said, really, we need to assess two years from now. And the noise is getting louder and louder and louder. So I still say we need to assess next year. And certainly people can go take a look. I am not a basketball expert, but, you know, I, I can there are some things I think from benchmarks that you want to look at between coaches. And I think he's a lot closer to Billy Donovan than he is to Lon Kruger. The question is, is Billy Donovan light good enough for some of the fans? And, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But um, so coming up next, I'm going to be working on something with Frank's looking at what his ceiling will be for the 2019 season. And then also you'd mentioned the tight ends and that, and that's something I'm going to take a look at in terms of how Mullins used his tight ends in the past and, and maybe what he might do this year coming forward. Cause I do think that that's a place where some two tight end sets might really be able to separate this offense and make it explosive. Um, and I'm interested to see what he might do this year. Yeah, I kind of set the Twitter world on fire too, and talking about about Mike White and uh, you know, I quote, "Next year looms large," and I, I I've been told that I believe that, and that doesn't say with a bad season he'll be fired. It looms large, and as I think it is a, it, it's going to be the season that kind of I, I think determines whether it's kind of a downward trend for Mike White, or if it's the season we go back and look at and say, all right, there's this, there's a season that kind of launched what we know Mike White to be way down his tenure at Florida. So uh, I think next year is so important. And I think in the trajectory of the program, not, not can't say for sure what, whether, you know, if, it, if there's no six, you know, he's got a very good recruiting class coming in next year. And that's what it, a lot of people are banking on to kind of go along with that freshman nucleus uh, of, the, uh, of this season that we're in. But I do think you look at next year, the talent that they're bringing in, the expectations are going to rise. They're, you're going to have to compete for the SEC. I think you need to make a deep turning run with, with the talent that you are bringing in. That's going to be the expectation. So that's why I think next year is going to go a long way in determining just how long Mike White's tenure is at Florida. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really fair statement, right, to say that to say that the expectation at a school that's won the SEC in the last, you know, and, and been a consistent – competitor in the sec over the last 
you know, decade or two decades really is going to want to be back at that level. I mean, you know, that is the expectation. Billy Donovan raised it, raised that expectation. I think we need to hold him to the standard that Billy Donovan was held to. You can't necessarily hold him to like Mike Krzyzewski standards. I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. And with the realization that Florida is still a football school, but I, I think it's a fair assessment to say next year looms large because of who he has coming in, because of who he has coming back. I mean, Nemhard played really well this year and um, really grew into that role as the season went on. And by the time he got to the to the tournament, he was really sort of the engine that made the that made the made the team go. You got two five stars coming in next year, along with a four star big man. You know, at some point, you got to start winning the games. You can't lose 15, 16, 17 games every year. You're going to have to get one of those seasons where you go, you know, thirty and six or something like that. And um, I think White can do it. I think he's bringing in players who are high quality players and then the question is going to be can he convert that over into wins but you know he's had some bad luck i mean with uh with some injuries and some other things that have gone on he made it to the elite eight a few years ago so it's not as if he can't and, and that team was really very good so it's not as if he can't coach um he played he coached very well at his previous stop before he came to florida so um i, I think it's probably you know, just because you're critical or just because you say this is a key year doesn't mean you want the coach fired. It's the same thing when I when I say when I say something critical about recruiting. It doesn't mean I want Mullen fired. It means I want I you know, historical precedent indicates that this needs to improve. The question is how does it improve and does that sort of inform, you know, changes that he may make or or things like that? Can can you can you interpret what's going on based on what you're seeing in the numbers? And so I think that's sort of the same thing. You know, hey, Florida's got a huge recruiting class coming in for the basketball team, and it's going to be important to see how they progress. And you know, it's not as if Duke has a bunch of seniors. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they've got they've got freshmen in there who are helping them win games, and that's the expectation in college basketball these days. And it's going to have to be the expectation next year for Florida. Yeah, but uh, absolutely will. But going back and looking at. In February, if you would have told me this team makes the tournament and gets and, and gets a win in the tournament, I probably would have taken it <laughs> with, with the way that team was playing uh, in February. So I'd say uh, all in all, I thought Mike White did a you know a, a pretty good job in, in kind of making up for where this team was at at one point in the season, overcoming injuries, getting the freshmen to, to come along well. As I look, I said, look, I know we don't talk a lot of basketball here, uh, and I don't tweet about it a lot either, but uh, I do watch it a lot and, and do follow the team. Uh, as well so as i said from from where they were at at one point in the season from when the season started and getting demolished by florida state uh as i said when the sec play started didn't start off too well either uh and like i said february i didn't think this team was a tourney team didn't think they'd make the tournament and then kind of went on a run a couple of wins in the sec tournament played one of the nation's best teams in lsu tough every time they played them beat them two out of three times so there was some good uh and, and some bad but definitely a lot to build on for next season very much so. I mean, there was a lot of growth in that win over LSU. There was a lot of growth they showed in that win over Nevada. And quite honestly, I think there was quite a bit of growth that was shown in the loss to Michigan. You know, I mean, that game was close until you got deep into the second half. So, you know, did you think Florida was going to win that game? I don't think you did going in, but um, I, I think you can see the team growing, probably not as quickly as some fans would like, but, you know, that's the reality. And and Mike White knows that better than anybody, right? He's paid very, very well to be the successor to Billy Donovan, and he understood what that meant when he signed on to do that. And so um, I don't feel sorry for him, but at the same time, I do think that we need to be fair in terms of how we assess what he's doing. And, and you know, some of the comments that I've seen about the job he's doing and his ability to coach and those sorts of things, I don't know that are necessarily based in 
based in the expectations of what Florida should be as a program. So that's what I tried to write about. And, you know, I've had plenty of people disagree with me. <laughs> well, Will, that's going to be about the, uh, the extent of basketball talk for another year, I guess. <laughs> Every year we'll talk about them in the charity van. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, really good uh, podcast out there, Florida basketball hour. You can get a lot more uh, basketball talk there. Those guys do a great job uh, out there. So yeah, we won't talk about it too much. It's pretty much a football centric podcast, but you know, a lot of, we'll, we'll talk about the hot topics uh, in Gator Nation and, and Mike White uh, is certainly a uh, big topic out there. So Will, uh, thank you again for uh, joining me on this episode, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I, I always look forward to it. It's fun to talk talk with you and talk with everybody out there. And I look forward to the criticisms that come my way. So <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a good time. It's a good time. And, and I enjoy everybody who reaches out and lets me know um, what I've gotten right and what I've gotten wrong. All right. That's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site readandreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.